It's time for class. Civics just doesn't begin and end on election day. This is Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged with political strategist L. Joy Williams on Sirius XM's Urban View. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Sunday Civics. The home for the civically engaged. I'm your host, your civics teacher and neighborhood political strategist, Eljoy Williams. I'm so happy you made it to class this morning. These last few days, marching down a couple of weeks until the midterm elections are over. Now, for those of us who work (laughs) in this election cycle, I'm telling you, we are literally counting down the days and the hours. This has been a really, really tough (laughs) um, cycle for us. So if you see people who are working on campaigns, they're volunteering, they're knocking on your doors, they're giving you a phone call. I know you feel annoyed by it, but this is what we have to do. If you have a moment, just tell them thank you. We are trying our best. I, I, I tell you, we are trying our best (laughs) and I can't wait until a vacation so um, for today's show we're going to actually head down south to Alabama we're going to talk to Evan Milligan he's the executive director of Alabama Forward Um, that court case that Supreme Court case that oral arguments were heard uh, everyone is describing it as a redistricting case which it is and that clip we heard all of the radio news station the questioning that was given by Justice Kataji Brown Jackson that case Evan Milligan is actually a named plaintiff in that case so we'll talk to him about that about redistricting overall but also about organizing not only for elections, but in the long term and organizing to bring more people into the political process and also to create coalition of the emerging majority in this country. So we'll talk to him about that. But first, as I mentioned, we are marching towards a midterm election. Now, I personally vote Democrat, and I am doing that because I need to give Joe Biden the Congress that he needs to continue to do what he can for people at this current stage. That is my choice. That is what I am doing. For those of you who are trying to decide what to do, that is... You know, if I if I have any sway (laughs) with you, that is my choice is to give him the Congress he needs to push more forward. Congress itself, even with this slim majority that they have, have done a lot, even on the House side. They've sent a lot to the Senate to try to get passed that has just been stalled. So I definitely do not want to go back to a Republican led Congress, at least not in its current iteration. So that's why I'm voting for that. So this is the time by which those of us who are organizing are suggesting, are urging those of you who are voters to what I uh, get, what I call get vote ready. So studies show that if you actually make a plan to vote, that you're actually more likely to cast your ballot. Now, I'm talking, preaching to the choir, yes, but I need you to sing. I need you to raise your voices. I need you to, on a street corner, in your barbershop, at your job, in your text messages, in your group chat, in your WhatsApp, whatever it is, I need you to tell people to follow these steps to get vote 
ready. So the first thing is you want people we're singing about as the choir, right? Because we're already doing these steps, but we're going to tell people to do this. The first thing is we want to tell people to verify that they are registered. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, I know I'm registered. I've been registered since 1987. Yeah, but we also know that states and other entities, have local entities, have been doing random things in terms of updating records, purging records, things of that nature. So I just need you to verify your registration. And while you're it, verify where you are going to vote. If you're voting on election day, if you're voting early, you know, verify the location because that may have changed. With redistricting, also districts have changed. So you may have been previously in one congressional district, now you're in, or in a state legislative district, and now you're in another. So it's important to verify that information before you go, because I would hate for you to show up, and that's not the place you need to vote right now. So you need to tell people to do that. Also, make your plan. Write it down. I'm going to early vote. And I'm going to early vote on this day, whether it's after work, before work, on the weekend, or you're going to vote by mail and you need to request your ballot. Those are the things you need to plan out before. Please do not wait until the day, the night before the election. And as we are singing to our community, let us tell them not to wait until the day before election day to make that decision. All right. Be good. We're going to get vote ready. We're going to have our plans together. We're going to verify our information. We're going to make our plan to vote. And as the choir, those of you who are listening to this show, I need you to raise your voices to your community, to your network and help everybody get vote ready too. So when we come back, we're going to talk to Evan Milligan from Alabama Forward and much more. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Sunday Civics Family. I'm L. Joy Williams, your civics teacher and neighborhood political strategist. And we're continuing this conversation on getting vote ready. As the days tick on, we have the election obviously approaching, but there are lots of things happening at the same time as an election. Ballots have already started being mailed out. Early vote may start in some places very, very soon. And so we are continuing to organize continuing to do what's best for our communities, not only at the ballot box, but in the courts and also in our communities and city halls and things of that nature. So joining me to talk about how all of that is coming together in a state called Alabama is Evan Milligan, who's coming to the front of the class. He's the executive director of Alabama Forward, which is a coalition of nonpartisan organizations throughout the state of Alabama that are working to expand the voter base there, protecting voting rights, making elections as accessible as possible so that people can exercise their voice into this political process. Additionally, Evan is actually the named plaintiff in Milligan versus Merrill, which is a federal lawsuit challenging congressional maps. And we've talked about how all of that is happening in this redistricting space. So welcome to the front of the class, Evan Milligan. Hey, Evan. Hey, Eljoy. It's nice to be with you. 
Thank you so much. And I have certainly lots to talk to you about, about Alabama Forward, about organizing in the South, about this lawsuit, about redistricting, lots of things to talk about because there is more than just the election approaching. There is, you know, 365 organizing happening. So I want to talk about how that's happening in Alabama. But first, since it's your first time before the class, why don't you tell the story of your first civic action? Oh, sure. So the first civic action I remember, let's see. Um, well, I grew up, I was raised in, in Montgomery, Alabama. That's where I currently live. Have pretty much spent most of my life here. I grew up with my great grandfather, my maternal great grandfather, called him Big Daddy, my maternal great grandmother, his wife, Big Mama, and then my mother's mom, Granny. So they, they were in the house with my parents and I. And to be honest with you, listening to, to stories, I have very early memories of listening to stories that they told about, you know, the bus boycott and just what it was like growing up in Lowndes County, where they were from in the you know they were born at the turn of the 20th century and so this isn't like a voting civic action because my parents were giving me flyers and stuff like that to pass around from as early as i can remember but we had this one of those one of those assignments where the you have to do a family history family tree sort of interview so you're supposed to go and this is when i was maybe second or third grade and we were supposed to go and talk with elders in our family and because my parents were both activists and had raised me to talk, you know, learn about the abolition movement, Underground Railroad, stuff like that, I was always curious about our family's connection to slavery. And, you know, they, 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 they had some loose memories that they could share of conversations that they had with their grandparents. And because their grandparents had been born into enslavement. And so for me, that's a, that's a, that was a upbringing that gave me context to do the civic engagement work that I do today. Yeah, I had flyers to pass out. There were other things, you know, talking to kids my age when I was in elementary school and all of that. But the thing that put the fire in my belly was knowing about our family's connection to these movements and to that period of enslavement. Like it was that recent that I'm sitting here talking to human beings that I live with and they're telling me about stories they heard when they were my age as, as as children in their own lives. So as far as grounding and rooting me in in a movement tradition, I feel like, you know, that those are some of the earlier memories I have. Does that does, is that is that too far yeah. away from the, the question? No, okay. I, I think that, you know, one of the things I talk about is that civic action is more than just voting and certainly knowing it your is. families and your communities connection to organizing, to ways in which people can get free and empower others is certainly one. And I'm a big proponent and advocate for starting where you are and talking with your family and knowing your family's history and connection before you go out in the world. That's how I was raised. <laughs> you know, it's sort okay. of what grounded me and is part of the reason why I do what I do. And I think that's something that everybody should be aware of. So thank you for sharing that. So I want to move to Alabama Forward. Talk to us about what the organization does and you know what, what the goals are. 
Sure. So, you know, if you've heard of a network of groups called State Voices, shout out to Alexis and Jordan, Brandon, the whole team over there. That's basically a network of um, state-based coalitions that are called Civic Engagement Tables. That network, I think now they have about, you know, 30 states online. So so the, the members of State Voices, they all basically serve as standing coalitions that are committed to supporting voting rights work, diversifying the electorates in their states, doing election protection and working to make election systems more transparent, more equitable, more accountable, particularly to people of color living in in, in those states. So Alabama Forward um, is basically the new kid on the block, you know, or one of the new kids on the block with regards to doing to, to being a civic engagement table. We have over 30 member groups. So we don't accept individuals as members, we accept organizations as members. Those organizations are 501c3 nonprofit groups that work around the state on a range of issues. You could think about groups in your state that work on climate change, black women's health, you know, the rights of, of uh, our, our loved ones that are ju justice impacted, immigrant communities, a long list of, of sort of individual missions but they come together because of the commitment to those things that I already mentioned, voting rights protection, diversifying the electorate. I came on staff as executive director in August of 2020. We were incorporated October of that year and really hit the ground running before that election, pushing out sub-grants, training, access to a, a data system called VAN. Some people may know it as the vote builder, but it's a, it's a tool that, um, field workers use and, and organizers use when they're doing voter registration or, or canvassing work. So it's an expensive tool. So one of the things that we can do is use the resources we have to maximize the access that our member groups and their members have to, to tools like that. So we hit the ground running with that work. And then our members were really emphatic that we needed to, to dig into redistricting in 2021. So we spent you know, much of that year in the weeds of supporting trainings, again, pushing out dollars, pushing out access to tools, and also, you know, supporting public facing virtual events, because we were still on lockdown at that point. Um, some some in person, but mostly virtual stuff. And once once the census data was released, our staff and our coalition partners and allies were involved with with encouraging neighbors to to go out and, and give statements to the Alabama legislature about the types of maps that they wanted to see created with that new census data. Um, unfortunately, the state ultimately adopted some maps that we're very concerned about and we challenged the congressional ones as well as some of the state legislative maps. We, we challenged the congressional maps really asserting that they violate section two of the Voting Rights Act. And then last Tuesday, though we won at the lower level of the court unanimously. So we won at the at the district court level, but the state of Alabama appealed and that, that case was heard for oral arguments at the court last Tuesday. And they'll issue their opinion at some point between February and late June of next year. And so we're really waiting to, you know, uh, that, that will be an Im Im important opinion. We'll definitely have a decisive impact on the Voting Rights Act which also has a cultural, 
you know, that, that's a part of the cultural story of Alabama organizers because the Selma to Montgomery March was really, you know, the major event that took place before the signing of that act. So for it to, you know, these years later to come back to the state and be in the position again to have such an influence on voting rights, good, bad, or ugly, it's, 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 it's really a part of that story and a part of the work that Alabama Ford and our member groups have inherited and are leaning into. So just for, for that context, the Supreme Court case that you're talking about in terms of oral arguments is where we heard the audio during the oral arguments of Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, her comments regarding that. So that's the same case where in which you're named as a plaintiff in this case. I want to step back for a bit because you talked about what the function of what we call in the industry a table is right sort of a connection of organizations around a particular focus area whether it be a a, you know a civil rights table or a reproductive justice table right like it's around an issue and organizations come together to be able to pull resources particularly that would be helpful for smaller organizations that don't have the budget to have access to tools and it allows for you to sort of share (laughs) resources and information in that instance talk to me a bit about organizing a table or just organizing amongst these smaller organizations in a Southern state at this time, where you may have cities or municipalities that have leadership that looks like you, but that also can be in a stronghold of the larger state (laughs) and the state legislature and governor. How are, how are organizing movements happening in that space? Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the way that organizing in Alabama has pretty much, if you're talking about civil rights organizing, you know, because of the connection to plantation economy, enslavement, racial terror, lynching, segregation, and, and that was a black white sort of paradigm for the most part, there have always been indigenous people and, you know, folks from other cultural backgrounds that live here, but in terms of the narrative, that that's that that's sort of the framework that we understand a lot of that. And what what's different is that in the '90s, the state started diversifying ethnically more, really for the first time in some cities, particularly in, in regards to Latinx, Spanish-speaking Im- immigrants moving in, or so new Americans, and then also AAPI. And that has really continued to surge with surge relative to the other, you know, to white and black groups here. And so I bring that up because one of the interesting parts about organizing a table now is that you actually do have pools of communities who don't come from the the older organizing traditions in Alabama, which would either be labor or civil rights, some women's rights stuff, some climate stuff here and there. So you have communities now who are on the ground. Some are second generation, some are still first generation, some are third and, um, you know, wanting to get in the game, not necessarily knowing how to do so. Some would want to, to, to know more about how to, how to be more involved and influence in their local state or federal governments, but they come from countries or from cultures where 
that type of activism is just not is is not as 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 I guess culturally you know internalized. It's it's not it's not something that happens for children going out handing flyers. The thing I, the thing I was I was describing, and so mm-hmm. for groups like that, they typically are organizing mutual aid associations, or they're getting state dollars to do basically language work or or cultural work education work but nothing that really speaks to building political strength and influencing any any branch of government so when our 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 response to those groups is to really you know we're working to build relationships do a lot of deep listening and to to get out small amounts of support that can that can help those groups understand who their peers are around the country and where those peers look for access to resources to be able to hire field workers and canvassers and digital organizers and that's going to be a longer process so we also so that's that's one batch of our members then we have the the more historical older sorts of um progressive leaning pro-democracy groups here in the state some work at a very local level some work at a at a statewide level or they have a national footprint they might be affiliates of statewide groups those groups have been in the game 15 years or more they're not new they they might be on their second or third executive director if not fourth um and and their needs you know that they 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 have pretty much at this point established a revenue stream that that then allows them to go and and really spend time wanting to create a table organization. So they have enough staff capacity and budget space to be proactively involved in thinking about the broader ecosystem of civic engagement work in the state. The, then a third group would be the groups that have sort of emerged post Obama, post Black Lives Matter, post Occupy Wall Street. So these are you know, less than 15 years old led by a founder they may not even be incorporated in some instances or they're very early on in the life cycle of those of their organization and their needs are going to be more pronounced and sharper in terms of budget you know access to funder relationships and just a general orientation around where their voices line up in, in regards to just our community of advocates in the state so those three groups you know, have very different needs. And our goal as a table is to work to create some coordinated um, strategy and, and not only strategy, but a coordinated story where everybody understands why the other groups are important and why working together is important. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the pieces, as you mentioned, in the different categories, I think it's great to highlight that not everyone you know, when we're organizing or even as people begin to organize around an issue, uh, election or things, they think everybody is at the same position, at the same starting line. And not that it requires developing relationship and understanding, as you mentioned, being able to listen in terms of where people are in order to bring them in and then also incorporate their ideas, their experiences and their goals into the work. And so it's very interesting to hear the various <laughs> categories and sort of how we can bring people in 
and that it's not an easy fix. I mean, we're hearing right now, as we always do, right, the last month before an election where we're getting beat over the head (laughs) with all of the messaging on, you got to do this now, right? And to a certain extent, those particularly in, in candidate campaigns have to do that, right? They have to drum, you know, this up in order to get as many people out as possible to get to their 50 plus one. But something you just said about, you know, organi- organizing for the long term is is really something to keep in focus that an election is a snapshot. But if you are organizing for collective political power, that that takes time. Talk about how that time, that organizing time and that ongoing work, right? Talk about how Alabama Forward is doing that now, using snapshots like elections or even redistricting as points to organize folks, but that there is this continued drumbeat. Yeah, for me, it goes back to the Paulo Freire's book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, because it you know, he's he's writing a lot in that book about what he calls dialogical education. So education as a building knowledge and power through relationship and through mutual learning and mutual association and not just here I am, the learned leader, the person with the superior information. And then here are the the masses, so to speak, or the followers who have nothing in their in their minds and then I deposit information and they follow me. And that's a, you know, that's a style of leadership that has has been heavily critiqued. I'm sure with by most of your listeners over the past, however long it was heavily critiqued during the black liberation movement, civil rights movement. And it's so so we've kind of, but there's still remnants of that, especially in in places where we have the sort of the sort of culture that, that we have here in Alabama so so for us you know you mentioned using elections and redistricting it's it's like it's understanding there's not going to be one solution there's not going to be one moment there's not going to be one campaign or narrative strategy or one person or group this is a a series of of daily actions that have to happen every day for 10 years 20 however long it takes um and then we use the if we understand that and we're trying to build a culture and a mentality of of empowerment and collective empowerment so it's not about a party it's not about a person it's about a way of life and then building that into our youth into our elders into into college age students or, or those that are working um these elections then you know they look differently Yes, it's about get out the vote and it's about supporting things, but it's also about using those as opportunities to test where we are and to test out how, you know, how well our strategies are working. And so for us, that means figuring out how to uh, how to anchor elections and redistricting cycles, midterm elections, local elections, how to create narrative colors, sounds that make those experiences more cultural and less less like something we're being asked to do by someone else by some agency or some institution no these are things that impact our community it impacts if we have snap benefits wic two-year school you know government scholarships four-year school scholarship everything we do if we have a park to go on our first date you know a park with a fountain and trees 
is that the place where we have our first dates, where we have our family reunion picnics, or is there no funding to, to sustain the parks in the neighborhoods where we grew up? And so we move elsewhere. So like all these things impact every moment of our lives. But if we, you know, what we've been really thinking about it and working with our members to do is to frame these things differently. So one of the ways we're trying to do that is with a program called Shake the Field. Shake the Field is not just a program, it's, it's sort of a collective of artists, folks interested in the national world, I'm sorry, the natural world. So, you know, whether they like to fish or farm or whatever, then also activists, small business owners, really trying to narrow the gap between members of those communities who are people of color, who are also interested in pro-democracy culture here in the state. And when we, and so, you know, as elections come up, when we, when we issue out grants to our members, we're encouraging them, well, long before the election, use art, use food, use music, use things that are cultural to, to create gathering spaces for community members. You still can have all of the activists giving all the messaging that you want. You can invite public speakers. But if that's an event where people are having five, six, ten emotional experiences and not just sitting down, looking ahead at a stage, listening or being told what to do, but if there's interactive activities, ways for them to have fun, then that can become a political experience that um, can transcend, you know, one time of the year. And that that that's a that's a a process that also will involve a fourth category of people that I didn't speak about initially. And these are folks that are not affiliated with any of the other three. So these are people that are highly skeptical of joining things. They're highly skeptical of institutions, of even democracy, even government. Some of them have, you know, their main reference point for government is a sense of abandonment or, um, you know, government having too heavy of a hand. And with them... Or corruption. With, with, Corruption. That's a, that's another one. Uh, corrupt people being killed, you know, by the state uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in various forms or lost by the state. So like, how do you go to them when that's their primary emotional experience? They, yeah, go out to vote, believe in the government. Like they have to you have to start somewhere different with that group. But yeah. that group is pivotal for everything we're trying to do in the state. And so creating these cultural spaces creates a bridge so that maybe they're not ready to go register to vote after that event, but they are ready. They may be, they may, maybe they were ready to smile at somebody that they wouldn't have smiled at. Maybe they were ready to pick up some information that they wouldn't have seen otherwise. Then that creates an opportunity to go back to that person. And in six months, a year, two years, they'll probably be in a different place just because of the relationship it's really important for us to, to, to build that culture that prioritizes that. Yeah. Well, one of the categories I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, we see in these last few weeks, a lot of conversation about black men and where their engagement, particularly, I would say that 25 to 45 black male population who are dissatisfied with how political parties are approaching them. And I'm saying political parties in general, because I agree with 
some some of this stuff is like whether they Democrats or Republican, they always got some, you know, last minute appeal that either looks and sounds racist or judgmental <laughs> or, you know, thing is just like yeah. you're on the border right here. Right. And so on the. Do. Right. right. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's a cross party. Right. Like it, it's it's no respect yeah. to party. So, you know, it'd be interesting to hear from your perspective in black male spaces what the uh, what the thought is around organizing, because I do recognize I have younger male cousins. And it's, it's funny. I had a client reach me and was like, oh, we're trying to get a celebrity for that, like 25 to 45 black male population. And I was like. Do yeah. black men really follow celebrity like that? That they gonna show up with their boys like to something because like <laughs> a good like like if Oprah and Gail showed up like at something like you know black women show up or they do or whatever like there are people like that and I was just like well I'm not a black man so I can't tell you what would cause them to show up and I try to ask my husband he's like yeah I'm not showing up for nobody uh, <laughs> so like you know the the same tactics and engagement doesn't really work into your point of really knowing and listening the population that you're engaging with and trying to build with is really important. And while I'm not going to engage in the separation politics that people are trying to do between black women and black men, because I know that that doesn't exist. <laughs> there is a conversation about like, how do we engage black men who are disconnected, as you, you know, mentioned, you know, don't have not a part of an organization, not a part, you know, not have a tradition of that kind of organizing, but want their voices to be heard, want, you know, their input on how we organize in our communities and not being scared of that. Well, one, one way we tried to, to bite at that apple, I guess, is to think about the, the nature of niche culture and how, you know, let's so like when, when we, we shake the field, we're, we're really focusing on 18 to 49 year old non-white Alabamians who live both in the state and also in the Alabama diaspora. So somewhere in the world or the United States, that's not the state of Alabama. And it's important to connect with them because they still have the capacity to shape perception, shape, shape um, language associated with the state and also, you know, contribute resources back here. But for 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 the for the groups in the state there's not like if you say 18 to 49 year old non-white that's still you know that's that's upwards of a hundred different niche groups at, at minimum so one of the niche groups that we thought would be strategic to focus on would be folks that identify with trap culture and so we mm. created a because if you're talking about black well in terms of you know who is left to be inspired into voting here we don't have it's not like Georgia. Georgia has over 10 million people. We just reached 5 million here in the state of Alabama, you know, as of this last redistricting cycle. And it might actually be less than that because of the impact of COVID death. So our population has had a flat growth over the last, you know, for my lifetime. I'm 41. So since 81. Georgia is very different. So in Georgia, you always have to have a conversation about registration how we get in those 18 year olds that are, you know, elect the 18 and up crowd that are from Georgia that are electing to stay in the state. Those that are moving to the state for college or for work opportunities who are around that same college age. And then those that are moving 
from elsewhere or that you know are overseas or whatever there's a there's a lot of work around registration that can happen in georgia alabama you do have people who've been disenfranchised because of justice system involved in being impacted by the justice system and but you have a lot of folks here who and, and you have some that are unregistered that are eligible but you also have a large group who are registered who don't vote frequently mm -hmm. or you know consistently and so for us like with the trap democracy idea it's not it's not thinking oh yeah well if we you know have some trap concerts like no it's not that but it's just thinking about the the hierarchy of caste and the way that caste system in the, the caste culture in alabama it, it, it's it's interesting that those who are often most marginalized when they actually create clothing and fashion and ways of speaking and moving holding their bodies music those things influence is like from the bottom up and so whereas targeting the targeting the group that's that's you know voting with the least frequency is often not strategically it's considered a strategic strategy for for turnout for us it was like if we're looking at long-term cultural shift then those people who have dominant influence on neighborhood level culture it, and youth culture it is very important to have a to have discussions and and, and stronger relationships with them and so since we, we've done three of these festivals so far we'll do the fourth one this weekend in talladega our, our our idea going in was okay we'll have we 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 have and shake the field we have an artist collective that creates original music so we'll feature some of that it all has themes related to our work it's not slogany or preachy it's just it's a vibe so we'll have some of that we'll have local artists that identify with trap music and we'll start targeting some of the nightclub you know not nightclub but night scene nightlife culture leaders whether they be those djs or those promoters or whoever to prioritize coming to the event and telling others about it and then the idea is that if we do that plus some neighborhood canvassing we're going to build a crowd of people who wouldn't or otherwise go to a rally or something like that and so far we you know we've tried this in three different cities and what we found is we have a long way to go we have <laughs> been able to <laughs> we've been but who's been coming and what's been interesting is there have been black like more so than other events i've gone to the turnout is not where we want it but the black the uh, of those that are coming it's a it's you know it's a it's a larger number of black males and when they do come we have some exhibits set up where you actually have things that you would find in the trap so the couch the the stove with the with the baking soda the, the refrigerator with the baking soda the stove with the pyrex with the pyrex dishes we have that but amidst that we'll have books like we have pedagogy of the press we have who, who else am i thinking of there's some names i'm forgetting but books about the connection between poverty and mass incarceration books for children who have a loved one who's incarcerated so we have a library in the refrigerator next to the next to the to the baking soda so instead of bricks and baking soda it's books and baking soda now we don't tell them what to think about this we allow them to walk up to it there's graffiti um painting all you know and, and actual trap artists who come from that culture have played a role in curating these exhibits along with our staff and our team and doing the graffiti art so when people that come from that culture and they may be coming to an to a civic engagement event for the first time when they come 
they're seeing something that they haven't seen before. They're seeing something familiar, but it's remixed in a way that it, it sparks a light bulb. I haven't seen, and so what's I've been I've been floored by watching some of these artists, and they're like coming in gold chain down. They have entourages <laughs> with them, and they stand over there at these exhibits, and they're really, you know, that they're, they're they're actually engaging in it. People have asked asked us to if they could rent it and that kind of thing. And what that's showing me is, okay, if we keep, and, and, and the main thing that, that we also hear them saying is like, when, when are y'all doing this again? When is this happening again? So there's a need for repetition and continuing to, to kind of going back to Paulo Freire, finding the things in the community that people recognize, make meaning of how they're already, you know, experiencing their culture and their communities. And then, intersecting that with with messaging about democracy about freedom about black movement about agency about healing and not not being too preachy just allowing folks to explore it and then having other nonprofit groups and activists invited who can provide that more targeted conversation to those that are interested in that and they've been able to register people to vote or you know and folks have filled out the the paperwork needed to to, to have voting rights restored Again, the numbers need, you know, we want these numbers to go up, but just seeing that that fundamental interaction is showing us we need to do more deep, deep engagement with the influencers because they're not showing up for celebrities, but they are showing up to the person that they already have loyalty to, that they already believe does business in an honorable way within their culture. And when yeah. those people show up, yeah. That is a draw for some of those for some of those black men. You know, um, what you just mentioned is the reality of meeting people where they are and also highlighting their experience. I mean, just as you were talking and saying, you know, brothers showing up, being, you know, engaged and standing by the exhibit. Right. Like that to me says, like, I have a I have pride in what is being displayed, that this is something that is authentic, that I don't mind putting, you know, even just putting my physical body in front of, right? Because this is a representation of me, my culture, my people, my community, as you describe it, even as niche as it is. So while I'm not showing up because Diddy is here, right? Like I'm going right. to show up and put on for my people because like, you know, I know this dude and I like, I, I engage with him. I engage with his art. I engage with the, the experience. It speaks yeah. to me. And then having an organization or having organizers and people who value that, who value their contribution to community, who value that you can have a voice and us not preaching to you what you ought to think, but saying that you can take what you think and translate that into political power. That's what, what that says. And that's long time work. That's not a like, okay, we did this graffiti, you know, trap music thing. Now go early vote, right? Like there's no, like, right. <laughs> you can't do that immediately. <laughs> You can't do that immediate transaction. They could be like, they be like, whatever, right? <laughs> right? right. It, it, right. You, in right. order to organize, you you have to be among, you have to be of, you have to build relationship and trust and accountability in that way. And so, 
you know, there's a difference. Now I say this even as a difference between, you know, me being a political consultant and I recognize, okay, in order to get a candidate elected, I need to bring, like, we need to motivate a certain amount of people to the polls. Right. But right. there to me, because I do both, there's a difference between the population that I organize to the polls and then the population that I have to continue to organize and build relationship with that eventually may right. get there. Right. But right. knowing the difference. So, I, you know, you can't play the voter blame game because there's enough people right. overall. Right. Like there's enough people for you to target and say, OK, all I got to do is get messaging to this population. I can get them out, turn them out to vote. This population, I need to continue to build relationship, build to continue to build rapport. They might not be ready for this midterm election, you know, but maybe they'll be ready for the presidential. And if not, that's cool too, because I'm he like, because I'm here, right? <laughs> like I'm here, right? Like I'm not just passing through. And I think that's exactly. the, the, the difference between organizations that are, rooted and steeped in their communities that versus, you know, fly by night, you know, political staff that's just coming in to elect somebody and then go off to the next election. Cause like you're saying the same, it's the same people. If we're talking about voters, if we're talking about people that need information about infectious disease, if we're talking about financial literacy, if we're talking about community-based violence prevention and intervention work, reentry services, literacy like all of these things we're if we segment it out then it inevitably becomes that thing you're talking about of you know do this because by then we've raised money there's some sort of report that needs to be filed as an election coming up and we want to look good for the people that gave us the money but if it's a if it's framed in the way of an ongoing commitment to a to a group of people to a to a community then the real the onus is on removing the barriers there's a pastor here named richard williams he has a, a multi-purpose center called a beacon center and he always talks he says the mission is for them to remove barriers for the neighbors that are standing between them and i don't know something like wholeness i forget the how he says it. it's one sentence but that's essentially you know what what we're trying to do in a civic or cultural way is um just create space for people to find their way naturally two things that will empower them and that takes going back figuring out and, and one of the things just piggybacking on, on what you were just saying is recognizing that it's not about a program it's about leadership development and people and so no people aren't going to come to you know it, the the idea is not for them to, to show up because we're saying that they should show up or to show up because it's a it's it's a, it's it's the election in an abstract sense we want we want it to be to the point where our communities have you know a spectrum of leaders you know and if everybody identifies themselves as a leader that's even that's the greatest case but where there you know people are are identified as being knowledgeable and respected for being consistent with doing certain work and knowing about certain topics and if if we have younger people, if we have people from all the niche groups who have pro-democracy values, who are playing those roles, that's the best case scenario for our communities. It's not building a program, it's building the people who have sustainable income, who have access, access to what they need to reach out to those 10, 20 people immediately around them who they can actually 
invite to something and trust that they'll show up. And to me, that looks, that kind of looks very different than the more scattershot shotgun approach that we often take to civic engagement. It's definitely going to be more localized, but, you know, hopefully we'll be able to to keep raising the resources we need and, and doing the work we need to do to experiment with this here and support our, our member groups in, in developing that model further. Well, Evan, I want to thank you so very much for taking the time to share with us. And I hope I can get back to Alabama soon and then catch up with Alabama yeah. Forward and all in the great organizing work that you all are doing. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Eljoy. We'll be right back with more of Sunday Civics here on Sirius XM Urban View, Channel 126. Welcome back to Sunday Civics. That's it. Thanks to Evan Milligan from Alabama Ford for a great conversation. And I cannot wait to get back to Alabama, to the South in general, although I go back and forth to Georgia, um, but I'd like to expand more. So invite me out. Invite me. I'll come down south and talk and workshop and do speeches and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, I'm here for it. Thanks to all of you for listening this morning. And remember, choir, we are the choir. Yes, you're listening to the show. That means you're probably already active and engaged. You already got your vote plan. But I need you to dedicate this week to texting, to calling, to doing outreach and email. If you lead an organization or any of that, I need you to dedicate this week, this week. This is your homework. I need to, to dedicate this time this week to prepare your people to get vote ready. So that could be sending an email, sending a text, posting in WhatsApp, tweeting about it, posting on Facebook, on TikTok, wherever wherever you have influence, particularly if you lead an organization, a congregation or anything. And, you know, you got five people following you down the street, <laughs> whoever they are. I need you to communicate these steps in order for people to get vote ready so that they can turn out and uh, cast their cast their ballot. All right. So, you know, what are the steps? One, verify your registration. Two, we're going to determine our poll site, right? Or uh, if you're voting early or voting by mail, you're going to determine how you are voting and all of the steps from there. Three, you're going to know what's on the ballot. In some states, it's not just Congress and the U.S. Senate. You have state legislators. You may have ballot questions. There are a whole bunch of ballot questions all over the country. So I need you to tell people to go and know what's on the ballot. And if you know what's on the ballot, I need you to share that information. So once again, we're going to tell people, number one, verify they are registered. Number two, we're going to plan our vote. Are we voting? voting early? Are we voting in person? Where are we voting? All of that. And number three, know what's on the ballot. Know all of the contests, research all of that and all of the candidates, as well as if there are any ballot initiatives or ballot questions on your ballot. Here in New York, our ballot 
in Brooklyn is going to be two pages back and front. So I have to educate people, not only in the Brooklyn NAACP membership, but the Brooklyn community about that. Make sure they flip the ballot over and know what the ballot questions are. So that's what I need you to do. Choir, you have an assignment. Go out this week and educate those about getting vote ready. We'll be back next week, next Sunday, with more ways that you can take civic action in your community. Have a good one.